I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us this morning. As we look at Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, and we see that Paul is thinking about the body. We begin reading in verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, and he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness." Paul began his thoughts in chapter 12 by dealing with the individual. He started off by thinking about the believer. His emphasis there was to get believers to understand that they had an obligation to the Lord to give him the best of their service and sacrifice. The remainder of this chapter is given over to the individual believer's duty to and place in the whole body of Christ. And as we consider Paul's words in our text, we find out that there are three observations that every believer needs to make concerning where he or she fits into God's plan for the body of Christ. Verse 3, we see that we should be watchful of our pride in the body. Watch your pride in the body. The first word of our text refers us back to the first two verses of this chapter. It's a real danger that we have as we grow in the Lord and become more separated in our walk that we will develop some pretty bad habits. One of the greatest dangers we face as we walk through this world is the sin of pride. In fact, pride is at the very root of all sin. How is that possible? Because pride puts I first. It puts me you first before God. Also notice that Paul's remarks are not given to, be, to an isolated few, but to all believers. Pride is a sin that we all deal with from time to time. Now let's notice the challenge against pride that we're given in verse 3. The danger of pride is a twofold danger, and that's addressed by the apostle. The first being self-deception. 
The first problem that Paul addresses is that of thinking more of yourself than you ought to think. Paul has in mind those people who tend to look down on other believers. Maybe they think that others aren't as holy as they are themselves, or maybe they feel like that their gifts are superior to those of others. Maybe they want to be in control of the church or any given program, believing that God has vested within them the answers to all problems, large and small. Whatever goes through a person's mind who thinks he is the stuff or she thinks that she's the stuff, it's a person who's walking in pride. And sadly, there are many who think that they're God's gift to ministry. God's gift to the church. Some people actually believe that if they or their talents were removed from the life of any given church, that church would cease to function. Now, John spoke of a man like this in 3 John verse 9. He mentioned a man named Diotrephes, who loveth, the Bible says, loveth to have the preeminence among them. Too many, like Diotrephes, have forgotten the church existed long before they were born, and it will continue to exist long after they're gone. And the conclusion of that matter is this. Every believer is important, but none is essential. That is, there is a place in the work of God for all who are redeemed, but the whole work rests on the shoulders of none, no flesh and blood. It has to rest solely on the Lord Jesus Christ. When any church or ministry becomes dependent on the gifts and the abilities of just one or two individuals, that ministry is in danger and it needs a spiritual overhaul. The second thing is self-deprecation. The opposite end of the spectrum are those folks who display a false humility. These are the people who, when you ask to do something in the church, they say, I can't do it. I don't have any talents. I don't have any abilities. I can't do anything. If you're saved, there's something you can do. And when the Lord saved you, he gifted you in some area according to the spiritual gifts that he's given to every believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And it's up to you to find out what that gift is and to get busy using it for the glory of God. To do less is a slap in the face of God who saved you by his grace. When we adopt this attitude, we're saying that the Lord simply messed up. That he didn't know what he was doing when he saved us and gifted us for service. I don't think I would want to be guilty of saying that to the Lord. How about you? Also in this group are those people who try to downplay what the Lord has gifted them to do. That is, the Lord will use them in a mighty way and when... They are complimented in a genuine way. They shrug it off and act like nothing great was done. This attitude is a lie. It's a sham. It's a false humility. If the Lord has used your life in a great way, don't deny him the glory he's due. When someone comes up and brags on you, just tell them that all glory belongs to the Lord who chooses and uses vessels according to his will. 
Now, between these two extremes is the balance we are to strive for. Paul calls on us to think soberly to according, according as God has dwelt to every man the measure of faith. The word soberly means sanely, intelligently. This verse is teaching us that we need to make an honest assessment of what the Lord has done in our lives if he's gifted you in an area, don't become puffed up in that gift. Instead, submit your life to the Lord and allow him to use that gift for his glory. If he's gifted you in a particular area, then humbly accept that and use the gifts that you have. Simply accept the Lord's will for your life as it is revealed, giving him the glory and yielding yourself completely to do his will. Now, the bottom line here is that we need to be honest about what the Lord has done for us by his grace. If he has gifted you, just use that gift and let him have the glory. Don't think it makes you better than anyone else. By the same token, don't assume a position of false humility by pretending that God isn't doing anything through you. Both extremes are wrong, and I think we're all guilty of both of these extremes somewhere in our lives. Now, don't lose sight of what Paul uses here. He uses the word grace in verses 3 and 6. The word reminds us of two important truths. Number one, we're saved. All of us are saved by grace. We got into this thing the same way, and we all came from the same place. We're washed in the same blood. We're headed to the same heaven. We sing the same song. Regardless of our respective backgrounds, we are all sinners that God has saved by his marvelous grace. You and I will never be better than any other believer. Secondly, we're all serving by grace. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. If you and I are living the right kind of life for Jesus Christ, then we will never be any more or any less than he intends us to be. Whatever gifts, whatever talents, Abilities that we have are ours by his grace and are to be used for his glory. They were not given to us so that we could exalt ourselves through them, but they were given so that we might be able to live for God, honor Jesus Christ, and glorify the Father as we travel through this world. Jesus Christ gave us. God's grace, active in the life of the believer, is that which equalizes us one with another. God decides what we do and to what extent we do it. Therefore, he leaves us no room for the exercise of foolish pride in the arena of our walk with him. So we must watch our pride in the body of Christ. Verses 4 and 5 says we should watch our place in the body. Paul's next objective to teach the individuals that they should use their respective gifts for the good of the whole of the body of Christ. Paul draws our attention in verse 4 to the human body to illustrate what is about, he is about to teach. He, he reminds us that our body is a complex creation. Our bodies 
are made up of trillions of cells, over 200 bones, over 600 muscles, specialized systems that cause us to be able to live and to function. The body is very diverse, but it's a picture, perfect picture of unity. No part of the body tries to take the office that belongs to another. Each part simply does its intended duty, and as a result, the entire body is able to live, function, enjoy life. According to medical research, there's 7.5 trillion cells in the body, more complex than the most advanced computer. Each cell has 200 trillion tiny groups of atoms called protein molecules. And the largest molecule is called DNA. And that carries our hereditary information from our parents to the offspring that we produce. It also carries our genetic code. It determines who you will be as a man or or a woman. DNA in one cell is six feet long. Total DNA in, in your body would fill a box the size of an ice cube. But if it were joined together, it would reach to the sun and back 400 times. Our bodies are miraculous beings. If the coded DNA information and instructions of one human were translated into English, it would fill a thousand volume encyclopedia. And Paul uses this, and he uses it as an example. He appeals to the human body as a grand example of diversity and unity. He wants his readers to see that the same unity of design and purpose is to exist within the body of Christ. That's the idea he turns to in verse 5. He begins reminding us that we are individuals. We are saved individually. We are gifted by God individually. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. We are special to God as individual persons. And we should never be ashamed of who we are as an individual in the Lord Jesus Christ. He loved you. He died for you. He saved you. He has a special place for you in his body. And it's just made for just you. Therefore, we must never try to force someone else to conform to our idea of what a Christian is. God has some strange people in his family. But each one of them is important to what the Lord is doing in this age. While the body is made up of many components, they all function seamlessly together. And when my eyes see something it wants to investigate closer, the hand responds by reaching out and lifting up that object. And when I want to move from one location to another, my feet and my body respond. They work in sync with each other. Again, the human body is a miraculous invention by God. And so is the body of Christ. But not only watch your place in the body, but watch your performance in the body in verses 6 through 8. Just as we are to find our niche, so to say, in the body of Christ, we are to carry out our duty to him in the correct fashion. Paul closes this section by teaching us how to do just that. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, and so on. He lists our call. This verse 
reminds us that we have been, uh, of everything that we've just been talking about. When we were saved, we all received the gift. That's right. At the moment of conversion, you received the Holy Spirit. And with Him, you also received gifts to use in the body of Christ. Therefore, there's no need for you to come to God and pray for the Holy Spirit or for any gift from the Holy Spirit. What you and I need to do is to ask the Lord to show you the gifts He's already given us so that He can use us in that area for which He has gifted you and I. By the way, if you walk in humble submission to the Lord, He will reveal His gift to you by giving you opportunity to exercise that gift for His glory as you walk through this world. Your duty is simply to be what the Lord saved you to be. And also in verses 6 through 8, Paul mentions some of the spiritual gifts the Spirit of God gives to the church. Some of the other lists, uh, list of gifts are found in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 31, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, and then 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. There are many gifts given to the church, and here Paul speaks of those that relate to expounding the Word of God in verses 6 through 8, and those that relate to expanding the work of God in verse 8, of course. None of these lists are exhaustive. Maybe someday we'll do a series on spiritual gifts. God gives people for many different tasks in the body of Christ. And Paul's idea is that we should seek to determine that gift that we have been given, and then we should consecrate that gift to the Lord. We should wait on him to open the doors. We should wait on him to give opportunities for service when and how God uses us in his business, in his work. Being available and willing to be used of him is our job. The last part of verse 8 deals with our attitude as we use the gifts that we've been given. The Bible says in verse 8, He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, he that ruleth with, with diligence. We must always be cautious that we do things and exercise our gifts the Lord's way. He mentions three gifts here, giving, ruling, and showing mercy. Then he tells how these gifts are to be ministered. And I believe these three statements can be applied across the board to the exercise of all spiritual gifts. Paul says that the gifts are to be used with simplicity, diligence, and cheerfulness. So it might do us good to investigate these three words before we stop in our study. First, he says simplicity. Now, this is a word that means with sincerity, free from mental pretense or hypocrisy. In other words, whether it be giving or any other gift being exercised, it must be done with a pure heart. We should minister for Jesus Christ without thoughts of ourselves and how it benefits us. We should serve him for his glory, not for our personal gain. Secondly, we have the word diligence. Now, this word means with haste. 
Our word speed actually comes from this word. It means with haste and earnestness, striving after something. This refers to seeing the urgency of the moment and reaching out to the best of our ability to make a difference in the lives of others while there is time. And finally, he gives us the word cheerfulness. This word means with excited joy and readiness of mind. We get the English word hilarious from this Greek word. Being allowed to exercise our gifts in the service of God should fill our hearts with unbridled joy and excitement. That's the idea. Serving God from an excited heart. Going to church because you want to, not because you have to. Witnessing and sharing the message of Christ because you desire it, not because you feel like you have to. Serving Jesus in your area of giftedness because you're excited about being all the Lord wants you to be and what he created you to be. And as we think about the body of Christ, I wonder how well we're filling out the places we've been called to fill. Perhaps as you're listening, the Spirit of God touch your heart and say, right there, right there, Right there is where you need work. Right there. That's not for me to point out. That's not for you to point out in someone else's life. That's the Holy Spirit's job to do in our lives. Right there, he might have said. Right there is where you need the most work. Maybe it's in the arena in the area of pride. Maybe it's false humility. Maybe you haven't been exercising your spiritual gifts as you should. Maybe you haven't even discovered your area of giftedness. Maybe you've been trying to take someone else's place in the body of Christ. Maybe you've been doing your job, but maybe in the wrong attitude. You know, if there is a need, we as believers should bring it to the Lord and ask him to help us in that need. Why? When we're not operating in the area and exactly to the extent of how we were made for God's glory, we're not living to our fullest potential. We're not getting the greatest blessing of God because we're not living to his perfect standard and will. Now, we'll never live to his perfect standard as far as sin, but we're not living our lives in the fullness of where he wants us. Oh, but when we do, there's extreme joy and happiness. There is pleasure in the sight of God for us. And he blesses us, and I'm sure everyone under the sound of my voice wants God's best. And God wants to give you his best. But the only way we can get God's best is to do things his way. We, in our flesh, want to do everything our way. God says, if you want my blessing, and if you want my best, then you'll do it my way. 
And so when we think about the believer, when we think about our mind, when we think about the body of Christ, everything works so great and so in sync and such precision when we do things his way. Are you doing things his way? Or are we spinning our wheels and we're in a spiritual rut because we still want to do things our way? Friends, that won't work. God is God. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He desires the best. He deserves the best. And he wants to give you his best. And the only way we do that and qualify for his best is we follow his will. Will you do that? Will you do that? Will you confess your heart of pride? Will you empty yourself and allow God to fill you? It's by that way and that way only that we can be a masterpiece of God that reflects his image because it was the Lord Jesus who emptied himself and allowed himself to be filled with the pleasure of the Father. On the cross of Calvary, he died for our sins. He literally emptied himself to the will of the Father. He extended us grace and mercy and peace and joy. Are you willing to empty yourself for his glory? That's the question today. I pray we are. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.